0: We're going to continue on in First Timothy, but before I jump into the passage today, I wanted to just share a story, a little bit of my background. You get to know me a little better, and we're actually going to look at it um, later today in, in light of the passage and some of the things that, that we're learning this morning. So, I've worked... Uh, quite a few different jobs in my life, and I'm sure I have yet to work a lot of jobs in my life. But the the last job that I worked for the past, uh, I was working for the past about six years, I worked in manufacturing. I was a machinist. Um, I was doing mold and dye work. I was doing writing automation. I mean, I was the shop guy. I was on the computer. I was out in the shop. I was teaching people. I was getting to do all sorts of really uh, things that I found really exciting and really fun, and those were all good things, but something I found in my my career as I stepped into my last job was I slowly built a habit, and I've talked about this before, but this unhealthy habit of these long work hours, these long work days, and it kind of built over time, right? I didn't start out working 12, 13 hours a day. I started working out barely being able to fill eight hours a day with work, but as my skills grew, as I learned things, as I saw the needs that I could meet. I started working more and more hours pretty soon. Eight hour days turned into nines, nines to tens, so on and so forth. And you can imagine I found myself in this place for uh, literally years where I was working these long extended hours. It's one of those jobs that as much as you were willing to give, that 's how much you could give, and then you could also give a little more and it's it wasn't the it wasn't necessarily the work environment it wasn't anything bad on their part it was the nature of the job uh, now looking back i'm realizing how much I didn't see in that work and the the habits that I set in my life and somewhere along the line as I was reflecting back as I was preparing this sermon, I was like why 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 was I doing more hours why was I lo- working longer what was fueling that and there were a lot of things fueling that but one of the things that I was realizing that I never took into account before is I could justify in my head just spending some more time because you know I was helping people right like my co-workers I was helping them out. If I did the work, they could could leave on time and and we could get a little more done. I was helping people. There was a project that would come in and they're like, this is really important, we got to get this done. Okay, I can work some more hours, it's okay, I can get this done. What I did was enable um, a culture within myself to never be able to get out of that had some effects on my relationship with Christ later down the road which we'll talk about a little later in the sermon but I wanted to start with that story uh, this morning and hopefully you get a little better picture into who I am and we'll, we'll learn from some of my negative experiences today in light of the passage which you know it's always fun to learn from somebody else's negative experience experiences. Um, But first, Timothy. We're in this series, The Gospel-Shaped Church. It's up there on the screen. We've been in it for a couple of months now, and we're looking at Paul writing a letter to Timothy in Ephesus, who's who's at this startup church, and, and he's counseling him on what should the church look like. Uh, how should you operate as a family? And so we're along for the ride with Timothy and we're trying to learn from Paul about what what it means to be a gospel-shaped church, what it means to be a church family, what it means to be healthy with God and to live the function of the church out in uh, the walls of our own home and within our community. And so today we're in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. You can go ahead and flip there, but I'll, I'll read it for you and it'll be up on the screen. It says, this do not rebuke an older man harshly but exhort him as if he were your father treat younger men as brothers older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need but if a widow has children or grandchildren these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God the widow who is, who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So, a lot. It's a big passage. There's a lot happening in here. We're not going through verse by verse today and gleaning from each verse, but where I want to start in the first kind of half of the sermon is looking at what is Paul? Paul has a lot of different things going on here. There's a lot of different pieces uh, broken up, and so I want to spend time looking at a few of the the main characters, if you will, of, of who Paul is talking about, and then a little down the line we'll talk about some context stuff. But, let's start with this widow truly in need. Paul gets really, really specific and he mentions this list a couple of times and he says, the the widow truly in need, he points it out in verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. It's like, Timothy, don't miss this. Make sure you can identify who these people are. There's some unique attributes and characteristics of their lives, and you're going to care for them in a unique way. So Timothy, pay attention that you can be that you can tell who these people are and what I love about the passage, even though it's split up. He tells us what we're looking for. He tells us the attributes and the virtues of, of this woman, and it's actually pretty amazing, right? It, it, down in verse nine and ten, he's telling us all about what we see like he says Timothy you'll see these things Uh, that she's been faithful to her husband she's well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children showing hospitality washing the feet of the Lord's people helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds there's been a lifestyle that she's lived up to this point in her life fostering this this care for others this concern for others this lifestyle that's been lived. And it's quite remarkable, really. And and you know, he gives a list of examples, but he says all sorts of good deeds this person has done. And so, can you identify those things? But even farther beyond that, it's not just about the things that this person has done or the life that they has have, have lived. There's a heart posture within the the um. There's a heart posture within the widow truly in need, as Paul describes her in this passage of dependence on God in a really unique way. We see it up in, uh, in verse 5. The widow truly in need is left all alone. She puts her hope in God. She continues in prayer night and day, she's in prayer because she knows that her help comes from God. And so there's something that she has cultivated, a level of dependency on the Lord that's very unique and deep and it, and it's something that Timothy is supposed to be seeing in these widows that go on to this list. There's something unique there and so I, I sit with that and as I sat with that over and over again this week, I was like, this is remarkable. Paul is saying, Timothy, you should be able to see and you should be able to tell when you see a widow um, who is truly in need and you'll see part of it in her heart posture in the ways that she holds her needs openly before God because she's believing that her hope is coming from God that her provision is coming from the hand of God and she doesn't know exactly what that means Or where that's going to come from, there's something remarkable about this widow as described and her dependence on God who is truly in need but the passage goes on and then there's this chunk about younger widows and right at the beginning of this chunk, it says, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. Uh, So I want to talk about the list really quick because it's a little confusing. You're like, okay Paul, what exactly are you talking about? There's different thoughts on exactly what the list is, but there is a common theme in in what people believe the, the list to be. First off, the list wasn't a welfare list. It wasn't a, these are all all the things we're gonna do for you list it was it, bec- it was a role and function within the church when you came on to this list you took a role within the church a unique role and that's where there's lots of different discussion around what that role was and what that could look like um, but but the reality was is as these widows in this cultural context like they had nothing they they had no way to make their way in the world they were part of the church and if they came onto this list then they functioned within the church in a unique role and and part of that um, with with, within this context was they made either some sort of vow this is where the wording is a little confusing it was either some sort of vow or some sort of commitment um, to live a lifestyle in in a specific way and that was to trust God for their provision and it looks like that also included committing to no longer marrying but now committing yourself to Christ in the church for your provision that your provision is going to come from Christ and and, and not from somebody else and so there's something really unique about this list and what Paul is calling out specifically here in this passage and so that's that's kind of the that's that's what the list is Um, but let's look down the road Um, at at what he says about the younger widows. I'm just going to read that chunk again because this this passage has so many chunks. I'm I'm reading them through as we hit each one of them. Um, As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow after Satan. So what's Paul doing here? Like, is he excluding people, is he saying, hey, care for these ones, but if they don't make the cut, don't care for these ones. No, that's not what I think Paul is saying, and we're going to actually talk about that in some of the other wording in the passage. But, But what Paul is doing here, he's calling Timothy out, and he's saying, don't misplace people in your care. Care for people in the proper and the appropriate way, through the appropriate channels for the season of life that they're in. He, Paul is, is is imparting some wisdom to Timothy on how to start discerning how you care for people not caring out of a, a reactive state but out of a, a proactive state of, of discerning how are you going to care for the people around you and the needs of the people around you in this case, specifically widows even in the goodness and the kindness of your heart you may try to help somebody and actually push them further away from Christ see at the end it says some have already followed after Satan some have already departed from the way and it started by saying don't put people on such a list so there's something that happened when Timothy already put them on this list and it wasn't actually what they needed for the season of life they were in they were in needs we're not going to deny that they definitely had needs But there's something that happened when they were put on this list that this wasn't the appropriate way to care for them and it pushed them away from Christ. It, it left them, it brought them away from the church instead of drawing them closer to Christ. And I think this is Paul warning Timothy. He's like, these are the things that you've seen. These are the, the, the pitfalls. And so, Timothy, pay attention. Don't misplace the people in your care, but care for them as individuals and see their needs the wording at the end is really interesting turned away to follow satan i i was doing a bunch of different reading on on what that means like essentially it means they left the faith they they exited the church and they no longer decided um to be a part of the church and there's a lot of different speculations on what that could mean um but w- one of them is is they, they came into this place, they lived in this area as a widow for a while, and then they decided they wanted to remarry, which would kind of break that commitment of what they said they were going, the role they were going to play within the church, or whatever vow that they took, but then also um, there's, there's some thought that it was to do something within the culture of actually going and marrying a non-Christian, somebody outside of the church, and so exiting the church altogether, stepping into a new family, a new set of beliefs, a new set of gods, and leaving behind what you originally dedicated your life to. And so Paul is trying to help Timothy avoid that. Paul is giving us, starting to give us a lens of how, and and he's questioning, how do we care for people and how do we make sure we care for people well. So there's a few calls in this passage right the first call is this there's a call to the church and so this is applicable for all of us and we all need to hear this but if you're sitting in the room this morning and you're on the lead team of this church this is a call for you right now in this season can and it's the call for timothy from paul in his season can you identify the needs of the people in front of you. Uh, The the wording that I was thinking through this week is, uh, are you offering provision to the needs which there are a multitude of with or without assessment of how you are providing for those needs? Are we sensitive? Timothy, are you sensitive to hearing God's voice in the way that you provide for the needs of the people around you. Paul is calling the church and the leadership of the church to be able to see these things. And the danger, the danger is this. If we're not discerning the way that we're helping, Timothy, if you're not discerning the way that you're helping the people around you, you may in fact very well be enabling even when it looks like you're helping. And so, Timothy, I want you to help well. Arise Church Leadership. We want to help well. And we want to care for people in the season that they're in, in the way that God is calling us to care for them. But that's not the only call, right? I talked earlier, It's, it's when I was reading this passage during this week, I'm like, Paul, are you being really cold and exclusive? Are you leaving out a huge range of people who are in legitimate need? But it's in there. It's in the passage. There's another call, and this call is to family. This call is to family, and we see it sprinkled throughout the passage, but primarily in verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, she, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So Paul does the Paul thing, like he does in a lot of his letters. He's calling out the church as individuals to live into a deeper expression of your faith. Paul says, there have been There there is supply for those in need. For those who have family walking in the way of Jesus, there is a call for us to care for our family, for our immediate family. Paul is saying, practice your faith. The things that you believe, the things that you declare that you believe, it is yours to practice your faith within the context of your own homes, within the context of the four walls that you call home, with your extended family who is in need. You have responsibility to care for them. Which is really hard because you're like, there's even within my family, there's so many needs potentially. Even in my family, there's so much, and I don't think I can do it all, and the call isn't to do it all, and we're going to talk a little more about that, but there is a specific call to say, are we linking Timothy, are the people in your congregation, are you, Arise Church, Daniel, are you linking the words that you say you believe with the actions that you're expressing, and are you able to express them within your own family, because you have to be learning how to express them out there in the world because the mission of the church is what to, to go and to encounter the lost to go and bring good hope and good news to all the world around us declaring what we believe boldly and strongly and declaring the name of Jesus and so Paul reminds us here in a sense That the practice starts within the walls of our own home but when I say the walls of our own home let's start to widen that out a little bit what was it at the beginning of the passage one and two is Paul talking about how we interact with one another within the church and and he tells us how to interact with uh, older men older women younger men younger women and what is the wording that he uses in verse 1 and 2 like fathers like mothers like brothers like sisters. And so the practice of our faith isn't just our biological family, but it's also our church family. It's not just our biological family, it's also our church family. So what's the context that Paul is preaching in? He's in Ephesus metropolitan area or not Paul but Timothy is in Paul's writing to him he's in Ephesus it's a metropolitan area right it's a city a city apparently by the wording here with a lot of hurt and a lot of needs right one where there are poor people on the street where there's widows who are in need you know, I can only imagine Timothy walking around his city, and I sometimes wonder if it, how different it is from me walking around Portland and seeing people on the street and people in need. But this is the context he's in. So there is a lot of need all around Timothy. He's not just in a town, he's in a city. And, and I think Paul is doing something really unique here, and this is the part that I wrestled with as I was trying to understand what was happening in this passage, is is Paul is, in a sense, protecting the church to be able to live its function well while calling the church higher to live its role in society better, right? Paul is protecting because Paul knows that um, if the help comes without assessment and you help people in the wrong way, that the church is a finite function The church doesn't have enough resources to supply every need that's going to come in this place of Ephesus, right? The the church is limited, and when I say care, and I'm talking about care, I'm not talking just about the financial aspect of care, although physical need care is a primary need and we need to be sensitive to those. But there is also an emotional, spiritual, relational care that's also a draw in the church. And so I think there's a warning here for Timothy. He's like, Timothy, even in the goodness of your heart, you're not always going to be able to help people the way that you expect or perhaps the way that you want, but yours is to trust in God. And this is, I think, about the widow. The widow's the, the widow truly in need. Hers was to trust in God. I don't know that that's any different than the rest of our needs. and And so, Timothy's being charged to actually carry a burden to carry a burden of those in need around him and to react appropriately in all the things that they they come for. So Paul is protecting the church because Paul knows that there will be some who come for the welfare to live off of what is being offered or, yeah, and there will be those who come trying to take advantage of the situation. Paul knows that there will be those who come with a need, with an expectation of how that need will be met, but Paul's like, weigh it first and make sure you're meeting it in the appropriate way. And there will be those who come who have genuine need and need the care of the church. Timothy, can you tell the difference? Timothy, can you discern the difference? Paul is challenging all of us to live our faith out in the context of our own home. He's he's telling us these things that you believe and these things that you saw Jesus do and these things that we declare uh, that, that we're going to chase after. When you say, yeah, I'm walking in the way of Jesus. Well, Paul's calling us higher into that. He's saying, walk in the way and discern the ways that you help people because you can't remain idle. Neither will you have enough energy to do it all. So how do we do it well? So now I want to springboard and open our scope. We've been talking out of the passage and I want to just talk a little more about this, this um, word discernment and discerning. Um, And we're going to just spend some time considering what this means for us in our context, in our own lives. And so um, the the first question is this, Are, are we discerning how we care? Are we discerning how we care for others? Uh, we might, there's, there's so many pitfalls when I start thinking about living out my faith and I'm like, how do I do that? And there's this tension inside of me, there's pitfalls and I've been in all of these different places and different seasons in life, am I doing too little? Am I not sensitive to the people around me and to the needs around me? And when I say that, it's not just about, am I I hearing the needs and then responding? Am I relationally connected to the people within my own family, within my church body, enough that I'm aware of the needs that they have? Or am I too busy? Am I not seeing those things? Am I missing those things? Am I not living into that call? Am I, am I afraid of what it means to step out and to start caring for the people around me? Some of us in the room might be in that place this morning. I've been there before. It's a hard place to be because you're like, what do I do? And so my encouragement to you this morning is jump in. This is something we're called to do. We are called to express our faith in the actions that we show as well as the words that we speak, and one doesn't live without the other. Discerning how we care. But what about the other end of the spectrum? What if we're compulsive in our care? What if we respond to every need without ever considering? what truly needs to be done in the situation. I'll loop this back to my story now. I've always, uh, like in in the work and the environment like that, like I've been compulsive in my care. I was like, I can help these people. I can help out the company. I can do these things. I never stopped to consider what it was doing to my life. You look down the road in the story, so this was about two years ago for me. I grew up in the church, but I found myself in a place in my job, and I was in a time of prayer, and I heard God challenge me and say, why do you care about your job more than you care about me? So the question is, for some of us, are we being compulsive in our care? Are we, not staying, are we not waiting long enough on God to discern appropriately how we should care for others, who we should care for, when we should respond, and what that looks like? That's a really hard one, because it's hard to stop doing all these things that seem like such good things. I feel that in my own life. And yet, if it starts to pull us away from God, then it's doing more harm than good. If it's enabling people around us, it's doing more harm than good. So it's not always that. But my tr- my question is, and my challenge is, is are you considering the things that you're filling your time with in the way that you care for people? Yeah. It's just really interesting as I sat with this stuff, I was just like, I'm like, how am I doing at all of this stuff? Because it's really difficult stuff. It's really hard things to say. I want to help, and we are called to help as the church, but we're called to help well in a heart that is saying, Lord, I'm open to the way that you want to help the people around me, so let me respond to that way. It's hard to trust God that sometimes that He knows how to care for the people around us even better than we do. That if we align our hearts with God, we're going to be more effective in our care than if we try to do as much as we possibly can. Yeah, as much as we possibly can. We live within our limitations of our own humanity. We can't do more than we can do and we certainly can't do more than God can do. And so for effective care, we have to have hearts aligned with God. Paul calls us higher to be intimate with God so we can be effective in the ways that we care for and to serve others in the way that we can even discern how to care for others. And then I have one last question that I was looking at. as I sat with this that I had never encountered before until I started reading about this passage. And it was, it was the, woman, the, the widow who was truly in need and the description of how she was and who she was that um, challenged me to start asking this question is, when I ask for help, when I have a need, am I discerning my need and the ways that I'm asking for it to be provided? This is hard. We all walk in seasons, and I want to acknowledge this at this point, like we all walk in seasons where we have more needs than other seasons or less needs than other seasons. We all walk in seasons where it's more of ours to supply the help for the needs, and then we walk in seasons where it's ours to receive help for needs. But um, I don't believe that they always uh, exist exclusively. There's some sort of mix where you are helping and you are receiving at the same time the beauty of functioning within a family family, um, but the, the question for me became, am I discerning the ways that I ask for things and what I ask for, am I walking in the heart of this, uh, the, the widow who is truly in need, both in how I'm helping people and how I'm asking for help. You see, she stood before God and she said, I believe that you will supply my needs. I will give up my preconceived ideas of what that looks like and trust by your mighty hand, by however you see fit, the supply of my needs will come. Whatever that may look like and that's really challenging because that takes our hands off the wheel and gives it over to God and we have to trust in him. And so, as I read that, I was just really challenged by the life that the widow truly in need was living, by the characteristics in her life. Um, I I was read couple months ago, this book, Pursuing God's Will Together by Ruth Haley Barton. And um, she's written a ton of books. All of the books that I've read by her I've really enjoyed. But this Pursuing God's Will Together was all about discernment. The the whole book was. And somewhere in the middle, she talks about this prayer, this prayer of indifference. And as I was reading about the, the life of the widow truly in need and her prayer and her life of prayer, I was like, that sounds like what she was talking about with the prayer of indifference. And, and the prayer of indifference is a wrestle to get to there, and it doesn't come easy, and sometimes it won't come quickly, but it's this space that we enter into where, where we have been able to uh, tell God uh, that we are not indifferent first off, about how things go, that we come with our own expectations, um, that we can unload to God, that it's really hard to trust you. And she said this process of praying indifference is always the prerequisite to discernment. And so if we want to truly discern, we have to be ready to step into indifference and to wrestle to that point knowing that we don't step into anything indifferent." And so it's really hard. So thanks Paul for telling Timothy all these things like about how you care for people and how you need to make sure that you care for people well. Thanks Paul for calling us a little higher in how we live out our faith. And so the wrestling that we sit with this morning is how do we enter into discernment? We know that we're called to care for people around us. But how do we do it in such a way that we acknowledge the limits of our own humanity and then partner with God to truly care for people in the ways that God is calling us to care for people in whatever season we're in? How do we ask for help correctly, appropriately in whatever season that we're in? That's scary things to pray prayers of indifference. It's scary to think that we can't just work a little harder and care for all the people around us, but what it means to actually care for our city is to be sensitive for the ways that God is calling us to care and stern in our hearts to do something. And that's really scary. I'm just gonna pray over us as we wrap up today. Lord, thank you for this church thank you that we get to chase after you my prayer is as my prayer has been all week that as we steep in these words that we would be uh, that we would be agitated in our spirits in some way to not live life the same way but to go out and to live life differently jesus we long for you we long to be like you we want to be near to you we want to live a life like you lived and we know that we cannot do that in our own strength and so I pray that you would bless us as a church, the people sitting in the room this morning, that as we go out and as we care, both within the context of our church but within our bigger mission out in the world in the places where we live, work and play, that we would be sensitive to the movement of your spirit for the care of our communities, Father we commit to you that you are the one who supplies all of our needs, that your help will come from wherever you declare it will come from. From and we trust in you, and so thank you for who you are and for what you're doing in our lives.